turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You'll find that on page 986 if you're using the Bible provided for you. And we're continuing a series of messages for these early weeks in this new year. Hard to believe we're at the last day of the first month already. But a great time for us as a church and as individual believers, the early days of a new year, to be reminded that our lives are producing an echo. We are making noise as we live our lives. Our lives have influence. And Paul was talking about that kind of influence, the influence of a life that is alive in Christ and reproduces the gospel, echoes the gospel into the lives of others. We get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where Paul is writing back to these believers with whom he only spent three weeks. Remember, Paul was only in Thessalonica for three weeks before he was required, made to leave town by the disciples because his life was in such danger. He's very concerned about how these Christians are doing and so he asked Timothy to bring him word as soon as he can and so weeks later Timothy comes and finds Paul at Corinth and brings the great news that the Christians in Thessalonica are doing well serving the Lord but by the time Timothy gets there Paul's already heard the echo he says in verse 8 From you has sounded forth the word of the Lord. It's sounded forth from you in the region where you live, in Macedonia. It's reached down here to where I am, in Achaia. And it's even going out into the various parts of the world. He says your lives are reverberating. They're overflowing. They're echoing the gospel. Now this morning, what I want us to see is that when we think about an echo, sometimes we think about a loud noise, a loud echo. I remember when I was a little boy, I used to go down near the the railroad tracks next to our house. My house was about 100 feet from railroad tracks, and I'd stretch myself out there on the hill, and from time to time, I would hear these jets that would fly over to an air force base over in central Indiana and at that time they didn't control the sonic boom as much as they do now and the place would just reverberate with a sonic boom from those jets sometimes we think an echo is like that it's loud booming and then we begin to think that well that's the way Christians really are going to make impact the ones that really make a difference are going to be the loud ones (laughs) are going to be the ones who make lots of noise but what I want you to notice this morning is that having a life that reverberates with the gospel echoes for the gospel is really going to be a powerful gentle life, a powerful, gentle 
influence. Paul talks about that gentle, powerful influence as he writes to these believers and he's having to remind them of how he and his associates lived among them because people are lying about Paul. That doesn't make much importance to Paul that they're lying about him, but he knows that these people are at stake. Their faith is at stake. The gospel's at stake. So Paul writes to remind these believers what his echo was like that caused them to reverberate with gospel power. I want you to listen to Paul as he talks about that beginning in verse 1, would you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's listen to Paul. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as the apostles of Christ. Now listen carefully to these next statements. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. For you had become very dear to us. Now Paul had a powerful ministry in Thessalonica. Brief, but powerful. Only three weeks, but powerful. Reminds us that you don't have to be with people or someone a long time to make a difference. But you've got to be real. Must be authentic. And Paul is saying here, our influence on you was one of gentleness and power. It was powerful, but it was gentle. Now this morning, what I want us to do is recognize that our motivation for our lives and the manner in which we live our lives is very powerful but it can also and it needs to be gentle as well now notice if you would what Paul says here he talks about his 
motivation. As he's reminding these believers of what motivated him, he says to them that he had a gentle, powerful gospel motivation, a gentle power gospel motivation. Now, today, how do we, how do we measure success? Well, we measure success a lot by results, right? Results, outward results, but that's not the way it is in the kingdom. Not in serving Jesus. You see, in serving Jesus, there's something much more important than outward results, and that that is the inward motivation. It's not only important that you accomplish things, but that you do them for the right reasons. Paul talks about his inward motivation, and they had seen it in his his ministry. Now, you can understand the three lies, three big lies that are being told about Paul as he answers and reminds these believers about his manner of life, the motivation that he had. He says that we did not come to you in flattery. He says it wasn't about flattery. Look at verse five. He says, for we never came with words of flattery. Words of flattery. Now he's not talking about an honest compliment. There's nothing wrong with an honest compliment. As a matter of fact, an honest compliment is a sincere gift. But flattery is a selfish technique. Flattery is always selfish. It's been well said that a gossip, a gossip will say behind your back what he would never say to your face. And a flatterer will say to your face what he would never say behind your back. (laughs) Paul says, We didn't come with flattery. Flattery is not the gospel. The gospel speaks the truth in love. That's the gospel. Speaking the truth in love. He says, I spoke truth to you, but it was in love, not to flatter you. People said he was a flatterer, and then they questioned his finances. But Paul could say, no, it wasn't about finances. He says, we didn't come, verse 5, with a pretext for greed. Pretext for greed, the idea means a cloak. A cloak that covered greed. Sharing the gospel, but the heart behind it is greed. Paul was being accused of being a prophet for profit. Yeah, he's a prophet, he preaches, but he does it for profit. And folks, the the truth is there have always been false prophets in the church who serve for profit. They've always been here and they're here to this very day. And sadly, the airways are filled with those whose lavish lifestyles, exorbitant living done in the name of the gospel is a ministry which has at its heart greed. 
But friends, most people sharing the gospel, they're not like that. Let's not set up the extreme cases and judge all the good-hearted men and women who are serving the Lord for, with sincere desires. As a matter of fact, sometimes we, we need to examine our own hearts when we say, well, you know, I, I think that person is speaking the gospel out of greed, and it may be true, and perhaps it does need to be said. But in doing that, maybe we need to ask ourselves, how much of our money is going for the gospel? If I'm condemning people for being in the gospel for money, how much of my money is going for the spread of the gospel? Paul says, my ministry was not about finances. It wasn't about flattery. And then he says, it wasn't about fame. It wasn't about fame. Verse six, he says, nor did we seek glory from people. We didn't seek to have a big name. Now here's the truth. Paul was famous. Paul was a famous man. He was a well-known man. Some people might have called him infamous, but he was a famous man. There, there's nothing wrong with experiencing fame. Some people experience fame as they faithfully serve the Lord in various capacities. That's not the problem. The problem is the pursuit of fame. The problem is pursuing the exalting of your own name above the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul never used his status to make demands. Paul never used his status as an apostle that way. As a matter of fact, he says here, verse 6, did you notice? He says, we could have made demands of you as the apostles. You know what that literally is? Literally, in the original, it's this. We could have thrown our weight around. We could have thrown our weight around. I mean, Paul was a heavyweight in the Lord's service. And he could have thrown his weight around, but he didn't. He knew that he was serving the Lord and that his authority had been given to him. He calls himself a slave at times. He says, I am the least of all the saints. He said, I am the most unworthy to have the position I have and the authority I have comes from God. I am what I am by the grace of God. And friends, I want you to understand all authority, listen carefully, every one of you in your places of authority, never forget that is delegated authority. All authority belongs to God. All authority that we, we have is delegated to us from God. A parent's authority is delegated authority. A teacher's authority is delegated authority. A manager's authority is delegated authority. A coach's authority is delegated authority. All the influence that we have is derived from the Lord. And when we remember that, we don't throw our authority around. We remember that we are people under authority. Paul had one true motive. What was his motive? He says, 
It was not flattery. He says it was not finances. It was not fame. He said this is the one thing that motivated us above all. Look at verse four. He says it was the father's approval. The father's approval. We speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. We speak not to please men. We're not here to tickle people's ears, he says in another place. Not to tell people what they want to hear. Not not to let people continue on in their deception that will lead to their destruction. He says we're not here for people to like us. We're here to turn people to the Lord and we want his approval. We want to be well-pleasing to him. That's what Paul said was his motive, the Father's approval. You know, there's really only two choices when you come down to it. There's really only two choices when it comes to making decisions. It's either pleasing God or pleasing people. And we are people. When we are out to please ourselves, we're a people pleaser. It's just we're the people. There's two choices, either pleasing God or pleasing people. I love what Pastor Bob St. John says. I've heard him say this many times, and this has touched my heart. As a matter of fact, I tweeted it on Twitter. Aren't you impressed that I know how to tweet? I do tweet on Twitter. (laughs) Don't expect me to say that again. (laughs) But I knew Pastor Bob St. John, being the man of God he is, wouldn't want to tweet his own horn. So, (laughs) So I did it for him. Here's what he says. He says, there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Now, some of you might not get anything from Pastor Sam today, but Pastor Bob just gave you something. There's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And I want to ask you, when it comes to your life, pleasing God or pleasing self, I want to ask you, what's your shelf life? Hey, that tweet's pretty good too. I just want to tell you, what's your shelf life? What's your life all about? Pleasing God or pleasing self? You have to choose. You say, well, I haven't decided. If you haven't decided, you've already decided. You have to choose to please God. Because Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, he must, what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Paul didn't throw his weight around to impact others. His influence was not from his position, but in reality, his influence flowed from his disposition. And I want you to see that. He says that his influence was from a gentle, powerful, gospel manner. Paul lived 
what he preached. Paul's message was supported by the manner of his life. And the manner of his life was gentle and powerful, even though he was an apostle. Notice how powerful his life was. Gentle and powerful. Now, I want you to know today, the world's philosophy is gentle, powerful, gentle, powerful. That's an oxymoron. That's, That's a contradiction in terms. Gentle, powerful. Who ever heard of such nonsense? Well, I want you to know that gentle and powerful is not moronic. It's even been proven in in business situations. 14 years ago, there was a man, still alive, he wrote a book called From Good to Great. His name's Jim Collins. It's a business management book. It sold millions of copies. He did a very intensive study of companies that move from average to outstanding. And what, what, were, what was central to companies moving from average to outstanding? And after all of this analysis and interviewing of thousands of people, number one in a business moving from average to outstanding was leadership. But now listen carefully. What kind of leadership? Leadership that was humble but driven for the success of the company, but humble. The leaders were women and men who were humble in nature. It it was not about them, but they were driven every day for it not to be about them, but for the success of the company. Humility and powerfulness is good business. But friends, I want to tell you something. It's not good business that makes it right. It's godly wisdom. It's what the Bible says godly character is. Godly character is gentle. And out of that, it's powerful. Spiritual leaders throughout the Bible were characterized by humility. Think about it. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world. And the Bible says he was the meekest of men. Joseph, who became the real power of the great world empire of Egypt. And he spoke with gentleness to his brothers who had betrayed him. He was gentle. John the Baptist. Jesus said of John the Baptist, there has never risen among men a greater person than John the Baptist. And what was the character of John the Baptist? He said, in answer to the question, who are you? He answered the question this way. He said, I'm a voice. Not the voice. I'm a voice. Just crying out, 
prepare the way of the Lord. When his disciples came to him and said, hey, hey, John, that, that man you baptized, that carpenter, everybody's leaving us and going to him. What was John's response? He must increase. I must decrease. You see, you can't go up and Jesus go up, really. We can only lift Jesus up as we come down in humility. And Jesus himself, the Lord of glory, the one who with his word could stop the waves and the wind, the one who with a word could cast out demons, the one who speaking a word could raise the dead, the power of God on earth. What was Jesus like? He was humble and gentle. Those who want to be truly powerful in the kingdom, listen, have got to be like the king. To be truly powerful, influential in the kingdom, we must be like the king who was humble. Paul gave that exhortation to those who were serving in the local church. He said, you must be kind and gentle. He told Timothy this, the young pastor at Ephesus. He said this, he said, Timothy, in chapter 2, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. He can't, a Lord's servant can't have a chip on his shoulder. But be kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Paul practiced what he preached. He was a man of gentle influence. And I want you to see this example, these last few minutes here, the example of Paul. What, does, what is the manner of somebody who is gentle but influential in reproducing gospel life in others. What was Paul like? He says, well, this is what I mean. You know, when I was among you, I was tender. I was tender. Verse seven, he says in verse seven, I was tender among you, gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now think about that astounding contrast. Stop right there, let it sink in. The apostle Paul, Witness to the resurrected Christ. Man who had been caught up into the heavens and seen visions. Writer of scripture, a good portion of the New Testament. Orator, incredibly powerful man. But with these people, he was like a nursing mother. Is there any more powerful image of tenderness than a nursing mother? 
He says, I was like a nursing mother taking care of you. You know what that literally, literally means? I was like a nursing mother sharing as she shares her body heat. It's the idea of sharing heat. It's the image of a, a mother holding her little baby to herself and sharing her warmth with the child. What a challenge that is. Think about that. Gentle influence. Gentle influence. We need to ask ourselves, am I a person who is known as a gentleman? Am I a, known as a gentlewoman? Is that, is that the influence I have? Do, do I spiritually draw people to myself? Do I divide or do I draw? Do, do I draw people and do I warm people's hearts? Do, do, is it a, an expression of my life that people are warmed by by me, <laughs> not <laughs> when I enter a room, people find something else to do. We all have observed that, haven't we? And we're so critical sometimes. We've observed it at others that you don't dare ask them how they're doing. They will tell you. And the whole medical history will come out and breaking every HIPAA law. Tenderness. Gentle, powerful gospel influence is tender in manner. And it's also, notice, here's Paul. He's tender, but he's affectionate. Affectionate. He says, we were so affectionately desirous of you. That, that again is startling. Paul compares himself to a nursing mother. Here, this is even so intimate. It is, he's saying, affectionately desirous. This, this literally means my heart ran out to you. My, 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 my longing for you. It's, it's a very powerful word. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. My heart and my emotions ran out to you longing for you. I was very touched this week when I found out that they have discovered, uncovered ancient coffins of little children, babies. And on these coffins are written this word. Their parents are longing for them. Longing for them. This is the complete opposite of self-focus. This is the complete opposite. It lives that echo are, are, are going out. They're, they're flowing out to others. Not looking out for number one, but looking out for the other one. This week I was reminded of an incredible example of some middle school sisters from Illinois. They were competing in a track race, 800 meter. 
race. And one of the sisters injured a muscle in the race, collapsed on the track. Her sister, who was running ahead, recognized, heard it, and here's what she did. She turned around and went back after her sister, got her up on her back, and carried her for over 400 meters. And then when they got to the finish line, the sister put the other one down, and they crossed the finish line together. <laughs> A coach that was there said, I've seen over 200 and coached in over 200 events, and I've never had tears in my eyes before. You see, that's, that's tender. That's affectionate. Not looking out for number one, but the other one. It goes to those that are sisters, brothers to us. Most of all, Paul said what was his manner was, was tender, affectionate, and ultimately it was sacrificial. It was sacrificial. Sacrificial. Paul said, we were ready. Notice that verse eight. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had come very dear to us. No, Paul wasn't a, um, a teacher who said, I teach my class and that's it. He wasn't a, a pastor who said, I give them the sermon, I'm over. He wasn't the group leader that says, hey, I had the Bible study, now I'm done. He wasn't the person teaching the course or leading the course that says, hey, I showed them how all this fits together. Now they can come back and get more if they want it from me. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice says it goes way beyond sharing information. But it is a heart of sacrifice, even of our own lives. Notice what this, sacri this gospel living is. Gospel influence is not an obligation. It's not an obligation. Number one, Paul said, we were ready. We were literally well pleased to do this. We didn't have to do it. We were well pleased to do it. Influential living is not an obligation. Secondly, it's more than words. We were willing and ready not just to share the gospel. We wanted to go beyond the gospel. Yes, we were ready to share the gospel, but it wasn't just words. It was a sharing of life. We were willing not just to share the gospel, but our own selves, our very own lives we were willing to share. And then he says, it all came out of love. What drove Paul and these people to do it? What made them tender and affectionate and sacrificial? We're not like this. This is not what people are by nature. What caused this? Because you had become very dear to us. It was caused by love. Very dear to us. The word dear to us there, agape toy. Many of you know the word agape love, sacrificial love. You had become very dear to us. 
Paul was willing to sacrifice, but listen, now listen in. He was willing to sacrifice, but it didn't feel like sacrifice. Why didn't it feel like sacrifice? Because it was rooted in love and love changes everything. Love changes everything. It's, it's not an obligation. It's a privilege. Love changes everything. And love changes people. People understand love. And nothing changes people like being loved. Nothing is as powerful as love. Nothing is as influential as love. And now, here's the good news for all of us here who are saying, but I don't feel like this. I don't feel it. That's the problem. I don't feel love. That's my problem. And here's the good news. Number one, feeling has nothing to do with it. And secondly, it's not your love. It's God's love. The love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And what the Lord says is stop quenching the spirit. Stop grieving the spirit with selfishness and self-focus. And let my love flow through you and do this to others as I have done to you. And see that if you don't feel the love. What did Jesus say he told his disciples when he washed their feet? He said, now you know these things. You will be blessed. You will be happy if you what? Do them. Some of the most miserable people I have ever met have their brains filled with the Bible. But it's not the hearer of the word. It's not the learner of the word who is blessed. It is what? The doer of the word. I've had several people in counseling situations over the years. And I've done my best to help them. And finally, I say, I do want to help you. And here's the next assignment. You cannot come back until you go downtown and serve several times in one of the missions downtown. You have to bring me a note from a leader that you have washed dishes or you have mopped floors or you have served soup or you have sorted clothes or you have made beds. You cannot come back and I will not talk to you again because the problem is you are completely self-focused and you need to serve others and know and feel the joy of the Lord. Folks, listen. Life is hard. It's difficult. But friends, sometimes we just have to get over ourselves. Go be with people who've got some real problems. Real problems. And let the Lord minister to your heart his love and experience the joy. And then you know what? You say, you mean I'm enjoying this like this and I'm making a difference? 
I thought I could only make a difference if I felt like I was dying every moment in the service of the Lord. You mean I can have a good time and influence people? Yeah, the best time. Serving God and serving others. Tenderness. Affection. Sacrifice out of love. That is influence. Powerful. Influence. Let's bow our heads. As our heads are bowed. Let's quiet our hearts. And let's just say, Lord, I offer my life to you. I, I, I offer myself to you and to others. Use me. Use me for your glory.